Well, here we are back in the garage in the Garage Talk podcast. Jesse Skidmore is in the garage, and tonight is, uh, I think it's Thursday. It's been kind of a wild week. My wife had a birthday yesterday, celebrated the birthday, and then uh, my grandparents were here, so I had a chance to get my grandpa out in the garage. And Jesse and I were going to try and record last week, but it was Thanksgiving. It was busy, a lot going on, so I'm glad you were able to make it over here this week. And we only met very briefly in passing right. just i don't even know if it was like i don't even know if you came inside that day you'd have to tell me because i i mean i just remember like a kid either getting picked up or dropped off because our yeah. kids are friends yeah it was, it was kind of like i was sent over here drop a kid off for a party and and make sure it wasn't a weird household or something and we just shook hands i'm right, we're good <laughs> yep, good to go here's my kid babysit for a couple hours well and i'm glad my wife actually brought it up because as I get this podcast rolling, I've been thinking about different people and I was yeah. kind of explaining to you a little bit of, you know, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it before we started rolling here and recording just briefly. But uh, you guys have a very interesting story as far as how you ended up here in Grants Pass because you haven't been here that long. No. Uh, what is it? Just over a year ish or right around a year somewhere right, in there? Yeah. Right about a year. A little. Yeah. Since we've actually came up here and discovered Grants Pass has been a year, but we've been living up here since, uh, just before Christmas so last year. And we're going to get to why you guys decided to move to Grants Pass a little bit later on in the podcast, but just to give people a little idea of what we're going to get to later, you guys moved here from Paradise, California. Yes. And if people think back just over a year ago, they can figure out pretty quickly. I think most people in the United States know what happened in Paradise. Yeah. Paradise just, is gone. It is. <laughs> it is. And, um, we're happy to have you here in Grants Pass, and uh, as I said, we're gonna get we're gonna get to that part of your guys' story a little bit later on. But I wanted to kind of go back and since we don't really know each other at all, I want to get to know you a little bit here, and right. and everyone else listening get to know you a little bit. And where did you actually grow up? I grew. I was born and raised mainly in Northern California, uh, Santa Rosa is where I started, and kind of uh, north from there. So. So what was it like growing up in Northern California? What kind of stuff were you into? And uh, I mean, always been a car guy, hanging out with dad in the garage. Um, you know, just uh, I guess going through elementary school. You know, parents are divorced, and you know, just uh, pretty much uh, kind of suburban life on the weekdays and weekends. We're with dad, you know, hanging out in the garage, out in the country, doing man stuff. So it was pretty good, uh, good times. And then. Um, yeah, you know, went through school, went through high school and a little bit of college and got into the trades and just been working for a living ever since. So where did you go to high school? I went to high school in Paradise. Okay. What year yeah. did you graduate high school? 2006. Okay, so I'm trying to think back. Did you go to school with Jeffrey Mail by chance? Yes. You did? Yeah. Okay, I'm a big Duck fan. Yeah. And I'm sure most people in Paradise, did yeah. everyone in Paradise or everyone that was in paradise know who Jeffrey Mayo is. Yeah. Well, the Mayo's had a, they had a real estate business. The mom ran it and the dad, you know, put the signs up in the yard. So they, you know, everyone knew who they were. They were good people. And, um, yeah, I went, I went to high school with him. So he was in school the same time you were. Yes. Cause I was trying to think back and I didn't have a chance to do any research before you got here, but we were sitting on the couch and I was talking to my wife about you guys before you came over and, I started thinking like, man, if he went to high school there, I'm guessing he's probably right about the same age as Jeffrey Mail. And for people listening right now, you may not know who Jeffrey Mail is, but one of my favorite Oregon Ducks yeah. of all time. I remember when Oregon was recruiting him to play football out of Paradise. There's not very many Division One athletes that come out of a town the size of Paradise because right. it's similar size. What's the po- what was the population of Paradise? Uh, I was like twenty six thousand. So pretty close to Grants Pass, but mainly a bedroom community. We didn't have big stores, big shopping, a lot of restaurants. You know, just a lot of no retire real retirement community. And people say Grants Pass retirement community, but we were like, you know, just just bedrooms. You know, just houses, just suburbs. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of. Uh, not a lot of the the shopping that you have here in Grants Pass, which the Grants Pass feels a lot bigger to me. Yeah, I remember uh, when the Ducks were recruiting him. I really didn't know much about Paradise. I do have family in Northern California. My yeah. wife's from Redding. My in-laws live in Corning, and uh, so we spent a little bit of time in Chico. I never had a chance to make it up to Paradise, which I'm obviously now. That's you're not going to see what it was like. But I always heard about this place called Paradise. And what do yeah. you think of when you hear the word Paradise? Right. Well. 
paradise. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people that I've heard or seen on the news or talked to, because I've ran into numerous people who have moved here from paradise. There's mm-hmm. uh, some people here. I think the new owners of grocery outlet came up from paradise. I was over at the coast uh, this summer, ran into some people that moved up to uh Corvallis area mm. uh, from paradise. And they were super nice and just had a chance to talk to them about what it was like there. And, and uh, what was it like for you being there in high school? And um, it was great. You know, the, the town changed a lot. It was kind of this, this uh, small, it, you know, it was, it was beautiful. It, it was a lot like here, big, tall pine trees, uh, you know, wooded suburbs, um, you know, easy living. It, it was great. It was just up out of the Sacramento Valley. So you didn't have that, that city feel. You didn't have that, that feel like you're in a dry, dusty town, you know, it, um, it was just living in the mountains, you know, living up on the ridge and, uh, you know, it, it was beautiful. Uh, town grew, you know, as people were retiring and leaving Southern California or wherever else they were, they were moving up there pretty fast, but, uh, that was beautiful. Um, you know, I started my, uh, I had a small business there with, uh, quite a few employees and, you know, it was, a everything was rolling pretty good for me. So when you got out of high school, did you go to work for someone else or did you start your own business out of high school? Um, let's see. No, I went to work for someone else, uh, quite a few years. Um, it wasn't till I guess 2016 I went out and went in business for myself. So really only a couple of years doing it on your own before uh, everything went sideways there. And for people listening, did you get into plumbing when you got out of high school? Is that what you were doing or were you doing some other stuff? And then eventually you ended up getting into plumbing. Well, I mean, I've always been working with my hands. I mean, just ever since I was a little kid. So right out of high school, you know, I, I, I did, I tried to do the college path. And I did that for a couple of years and, uh, you know, got pretty far. I think right now I could take like a PE class and a math class and have my A, but, um, I think those are the only two classes I took when I went to college. Yeah. I know I took PE, the newspaper and yeah, math class. And they told me, they actually asked me if I tested in there or if I got placed yeah. in there. And I said, I, I tested in here and they said, we don't know how, <laughs> Oh, well, that's not good. <laughs> I maybe would have had more fun if I just started the easy stuff. But, you know, I went, I started going to school, um, you know, just trying to find my way. And then, you know, about 20, I had, I had my first uh, kid on the ra- on the way. And, um, you know, I just had to go to work. I'm just always, always been a worker. So, I, you know, I just went to work right off the bat and, and um, you know, always into the trades and ended up finding plumbing. And just, you know, I said at that point in my life, probably 22, 24, somewhere around there. I said, you know, if this is it, if this is, I'm, I'm going to be a plumber, I'm just going to be the best I can. And, um, you know, worked for a couple of different companies and just worked my way to the top and just, you know, tried to be the best, learned as much as I possibly could, like literally just, you know, lived plumbing and uh, really excelled at it. Um, you know, me and my family have lived comfortably. I worked a lot. And, uh, you know, it's how I support my family still. So when you were learning plumbing, did you learn any of that from your dad or was it mainly on the job training? Well, you know, we, we always grew, when you grow up and you don't have a lot of money when you're growing up, you end up doing stuff yourself always. I mean, my mom and dad were divorced, but I can't ever remember paying anybody to come do our stuff. I mean, we just had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Even if the water was off for weeks or, or you know, days or whatever. We just had to figure it out. So yeah, I worked with my dad. I always knew general stuff and it's just the world I lived in. So I picked it up really fast. So what was it like when you decided to actually go out on your own and what was that? How did you come to that conclusion that that's what you're going to do and how'd that go for you? Well, um, let's, well, I worked for a couple of companies at that time and, you know, I just kind of felt a little frustrated kind of topped out and wanted to do things the way I wanted to do and I had this kind of vision on how an experience should go when you call someone into their into your their house you know and and do a service like like plumbing and um just literally one night I think about eight o'clock got home a couple of beers you know the usual routine and I just kind of got this feeling in my stomach like you know I just need to go into business for myself 
and just took off like i think within three months i had all my licensed stuff going and literally went into work one day and then the next day i was out on my own and just hit the ground running so it, it started just me and my wife in the garage and um it just went really fast within two years we had 13 employees and wow is that because you obviously you're doing a good job and you talked about uh, feeling like you could do a better job you know when you said going into people's homes you felt like there's a certain way you should do it right for the most part when people venture out on their own at least in my experience it's either they're really good or they just can't figure out how to work for someone it sounds like in this case it definitely wasn't that it was that you felt like customers should be treated a certain way so do you feel like that your business grew so quickly because how you were treating them obviously had good connections in the community being there for a while well first i'm a workaholic so that you know that kind of drives things and just when I want something, you know, I don't really care what it takes, you know, how much it costs. I just, if I want it, I'm just going to drive and push till I get it. I mean, if I want it, I, I can't stop thinking about it. It it pretty much consumes me. So that's, you know, that's happened on a couple different, uh, different things I've gone through in my life. You know, I've driven towards that, but, um, yeah, at that time it was plumbing. So I just drove hard for two years, and I mean, we just kicked butt. I mean, we had a lot of people working for us, 100% paid health benefits for all my employees. I mean, I just really made it happen um, in two years. It was uh, it was great. That's incredible to hear. Yeah. What's it like for you seeing some of these people? Because I know it's very hard for a lot of people in the trades to find employees these days. What's your take on the whole situation? Because you talk about being a workaholic. I left the house this morning at 5 a.m. I do every single day. Yeah. I'm probably very much like yourself. Like, there's this just dry. Like, I just want to, I want to do, and I want to keep doing it. And I figure if somebody's going to let me do it, I'm going to keep doing it until they may stop doing it. Um, so I think we probably think similar that way, or at least that's the impression I yeah. get. So what's it like for you seeing some of the younger generation that just don't want to do it? You, know, you you hear the younger generation, but I think some of the best guys that I've had work for me have been from the younger generation. The problem, the, the issue, you got to be ready to, to go through six of those guys to get one. And it, it's hard, you know, like I'm, a, you know, I don't, I want to give everybody a chance and I want to, you know, everyone to succeed and teach them stuff. And, uh, it's hard, it's hard to say, you know, to call it sometimes and fire people, but you know, I've, I've hired and fired at least 25 to 30 people in that two years. And, uh, I have, I have guys working for me now, you know, and, the, and they're great, but people go through changes, different personalities. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's not easy hiring people, but you just can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to, um, you know, hire six guys to get one good guy. Yeah. And, it's tough. And eventually, hopefully, you end up finding that, that one guy that's really going to do a good job for you. And I know yeah. there's a lot of companies out there that have had to to run with less people and run them harder. But there's kind of this understanding, like, this is what we got, and right. we're going to take care of you as best we can and reward you for working hard, but this is what we have and we're going to go for it. There's X amount of work to get done and only so many people to do it. And a lot of businesses are in that situation just because they simply can't get enough people to come work for them. Yeah. And I think, uh, it's probably worse up here in, uh, you know, in Southern Oregon trying to find good guys that want to work. Um, ironically, a couple of the guys that work for me now are from paradise that I didn't know when I was in paradise. So you ended up meeting them here yeah, and you didn't even know them, yeah, which is probably hard to do in a, a town like that. Well, I guess it is similar in size. I guess I just have this impression in my mind that it's smaller than here, even though we talked about the fact that the population is the same, just cause it kind of, everyone says it has that really small town vibe to it. Yeah. Well, we don't have the, we don't have an I five running right through, you know, we yeah. don't have that traffic. We don't have the, uh, the whole other industry that Southern Oregon has with people coming in and out. So, so when you go to the store, the people you see at the store are not people passing through. They're people that live in town for the most part. Right. It's a, I mean, if, if you're just going on 99, you're going through Chico and Corning and all that, 
and then you just take a ride up the mountain to paradise mm-hmm. and there's no reason to really go through there unless you're just going to paradise yeah you know Miguelia and stuff so so you said you have some some guys working for you now that are from paradise but let's let's talk about paradise a little bit and what happened just over a year ago um that ended up sending you guys up here um have you had a chance to watch the netflix documentary that they did uh i i saw the trailer and you know that that was enough i I think people should watch it it sounds like it was pretty accurate yeah the the reason i asked that first is because i was just curious how accurate it really was my wife being from redding her dad being in corning you can you could see i mean the hill up that way on the ridge not that far away really right and as soon as she watched the trailer she said shut it off i don't want to watch it um so with you not watching it, I can't ask you how accurate, but you said it sounds like it was accurate. So we'll just go with that. We'll set that aside over here. Um, I want to know what that day was like for you guys and what that was, how that all came about and what that yeah. was like. Um, let's see. It was a normal day except that morning my wife and I were going on a little three-day vacation. So we had our bags packed. And, I, and we were leaving at 9 a.m. We had to go down to Sacramento to fly fly out. And we, uh, she didn't want me to. Uh, when I remember, she didn't want me to go to work. But I said, babe, I got to go to work. I got to get all the guys out the door. And then we can take off. So um, I went to work. There about 7.30. About 8 o'clock, about that time, we started to notice something was weird. Because it's it's sunny in paradise we have the sunniest winters you know it's it's uh real california weather it was it was nice and then all of a sudden it kind of got this like this weird twilight feel where it was getting kind of red outside and then we kind of there was no siren there was no nothing but within 20 minutes it was pitch black and there was ash coming out of the out of the sky i mean I remember I took a picture on my phone and it was sunny and 20 minutes later I took another picture and it was pitch black. My headlights were on and I was running home to, to, um, grab what we could. So, um, yeah, just scary. There was no warning. There was, there was nothing. It was just, uh, you know, 20 minutes basically from normal to apocalyptic. So, um, I think at that point I was telling the guys, you know, maybe we should just call it for the day. Everyone just kind of go home. So we all kind of dispersed from there. Last thing I remember doing was thinking we were going to get looted. So we had all of our equipment kind of parked in front of the shop to kind of block the doors, um, ran home. Um, my mom was in town cause she was going to watch the kids while we were out for a couple days. She went, she dropped the kids off at school pulled out of the parking lot, noticed something wasn't right, went back and grabbed the kids. So when I got home, she was already there with, with my three daughters, um, Roxy, Sasha, and Andrea. And, uh, you know, my, my wife was pretty upset at that point, but we had some, we had our bags packed for our vacation in, in the, in the, um, car. And, it was not looking good at that point. It was already starting to get dark and you could hear propane tanks exploding and you could just hear this roar coming, you know, a roaring of a fire. And it was coming, you know, like from, I think where I was at that point was kind of coming from West and you could feel it. And it was starting to make its own weather inside there. Um, kind of like a thunderstorm, just really odd, a really weird feeling. And, uh, last minute you know uh last thing i could think of was just take a video of everything we've got because just a customer who went through a fire told me they did that one time so we went through and videoed everything that we had i mean within you know a minute and a half just walking through the house and the garage and all that and then just hopped in the in the um in the truck and took off my mom was a little bit ahead of me with all the kids and um we took off. We lived on Pearson. We took off took off to Clark, and it was already traffic jam. People were freaking out. Pitch black, ash coming. Um, you know the fire was there, and I remember we had to cut. Th- we cut through the hardware store to get out down Clark, and the flames were already past the hardware store down Clark, um, j- getting ready to jump the road. 
was about 9:30 at that time and uh we just got we just went i mean it, people were already getting crazy at that point and we just uh drove down the hill and got out to the bottom uh you know towards Oroville looking back and it was just not looking good at all and that's pretty much the end of uh the end of our old life you know it was or you know that chapter in my life I guess was just looking back and it was gone feeling kind of guilty because we were out by you know maybe 10 o'clock and so many you know a lot of my employees were still up there a lot of my friends were up there family up there you know um and just kind of waiting to see um I think we just sat at the bottom of the hill just for a couple hours just to see who got out um yeah so that was the that was the end of that so by the time you realized what was going on at the shop you basically went straight home took a quick video grabbed some stuff and really didn't have a chance to to grab much of anything to take with no you. I, we had a we at that point I, I don't think we were ready to lose we definitely weren't thinking we we're gonna lose everything we were thinking a little evacuation I mean, that's what I was thinking. A little evacuation, come back, and I was thinking, like, geez, I just don't want to get ripped off while we're all gone. Um, I just didn't really think it was get that bad. You never do. Mm-mm. I mean, you'd like to think someone's going to save you. And, uh, you know, we should have known living up on that ridge. You know, now that it's all burnt down, you look at it. We were living at the top of this ridge with only a few ways in and a few ways out. We couldn't get it, get out fast enough to save ourselves, and they couldn't get in fast enough to save us. So, um, yeah, at that point, I don't, I don't, I don't, it wasn't going through my mind. We're going to lose it all. So but it sounds like you just acted so fast because you mentioned that a lot of people waited around or maybe took a little bit longer to do whatever it was yeah. they were doing, but you just decided we're just going to get a video. We're going to grab our stuff and get the hell out of here. Yep. Just, I grab, I grabbed my safe, which I think this is a point that if you do have a safe, you probably want a little one not bolted down and luckily i just got a safe and never bolted it down because it was so quick i mean i grabbed this grabbed my safe and already had my suitcase with vacation clothes in it in the in the truck and that's it that in a video so um yeah we just got out of there um but how we got up to grant's pass you know from there i went to my mom's house in the bay area i'm not a city guy it lasted about a week there. We ended up meeting up with uh, our best friends and their whole family. So we had a, a, a huge house full, full of people at that time at my mom's house. In the Bay Area. In the Bay Area. And um, just, you know, what do you do when you're sitting there? We couldn't get back up there for, you know, weeks. I think maybe a month and a half. And um, So you went down the hill. Yep in the midst of chaos and you don't get to go back up and even take a look for over a month. No, I don't know. I don't know if people know this, but yeah, like a month and a half, you couldn't, could not get back up there. And, um, so we were in the Bay area, just kind of following this thing. Like you're just, you're getting so sick of being on social media and stuff, just, but just trying to find out what's there, what's there. Well, and also probably who is where, right? Because your employees, how long did it take you to figure out where they were and who's okay? Uh, by the end of that day, we knew everyone was okay. But also by the end of that day, I knew I didn't have fire insurance on on my my business, you know, my my business assets and and the shop and the equipment, you know, the inventory, all that stuff. So I knew it was it was not looking good after that first day. And after that first day, I saw a video. My wife showed me a video of our shop burning. It was one of the first structures next to uh, McDonald's that went. Oh, wow. You were right there, huh? So I was kind of, you know, just knew it was not good. And, um, you know, being in the plumbing service industry, I knew a lot of the houses were gone. So I knew kind of the business was not looking too good, you know, at that point. And then it kind of got worse where to, well, probably the house is gone. And then it got kind of... You know, then it became reality when Cal Fire set up this deal where you could go in and log in on the internet and see if your house was still there. Um, you know, I think week two or something, we found out the house was gone, and then uh, maybe week 
three or so, we found out the rental was gone up in the um, neighbor town of Megalia. And uh, so at that point, you're kind of just, you know, you're, everything's gone. Your whole life's gone. You know? So you had a home, a rental, and a shop. All three are gone. All three are gone. And, um, and no insurance, on, no fire insurance. You had necessary insurance to operate as a business, but just no fire insurance on the, on the business I built up. And at that point, it, we were at, um, we were set to do a, a million dollar year that year. So we, we had a lot of stuff to lose. Um, and, you know, I built that business in two years. My wife and I built that business in two years. So it was a lot of sacrifice to get there. And it was all gone. Was there any part of you that, and I know at that point, you're probably not even thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this again. Or maybe you were. And correct me if I'm wrong. But in my head, I'm just thinking about, okay, um, we built this thing up to do around a million bucks, which is awesome, by the way. And then it's gone. How long did it take you before you thought, well, I might be able to do that again? And I'm not <laughs> saying that's how big you want to get again. I don't know. You tell me. But obviously, you've decided to start over again. Yeah. How long did it take you? Because you said you're a hard worker. My guess is mm, maybe not not too awfully long. Yeah. Because I know if it was me, I'd want to get get after it eventually. Maybe not right away. you got to get things situated. But Well, you know, the, you can't make that decision overnight. Um, I think my first thing is I wanted to go back and see what was going on. You know, obviously we were doing, you know, a couple thousand calls at that time. I think we were on like a 3000 job or invoice at least for the first two years. So we were doing, a, we were answering a lot of calls and a lot of calls were still coming in. So I went back just me couple of the guys were still kind of scattered. A couple of the vans were still up there, lost a couple of them. So I went back and started kind of doing some work, but it was so smoky. It was so chaotic. Um, you know, when a kind of apocalyptic thing hits like that, you see the best in a lot of people, but you see the worst in some. And um, I saw the worst in some people um, going through that. And... Um, it it really hurt me and really um drove me away from from the area and uh, with that and with knowing that you know i couldn't really go back and have a million dollar year company again and my house is gone and my three daughters and all the asbestos and the the chemicals and the water you couldn't you know the non-potable water up there and the living situation i was not ready to tough it out in a camper for a year while I rebuild my house on a bald mountain, you know? Yeah. And it's it, just a completely different situation. It, it's, it's just, uh, to me, it's, it's not paradise anymore. It's ugly up there. I don't like it. I, I just went back there a couple of weeks ago to grab, you know, some old burn up car parts off my lot. I probably should have just left there and it just does nothing for me. You know, it, it's just, uh, you know, there's a spot where the grocery store used to be. There's a spot, you know, there's a house I just did. There's a, there's a, you know, a business I used to do plumbing for. It's just, um, it's like walking through a graveyard, you know, and just, um, didn't do anything for me. So, um, how we got up here, you know, just, uh, two weeks after the fire, we were going stir crazy. You know, we're used to small town stuff. We were, we were in the Bay area. Uh, my mom was great taking care of us, but we just had to go. So, um, my whole family, this other family that we were staying, that we're, um, you know, that we were tagging along with, we just said, let's drive. Let's just go. I had never been north of Shasta Lake at that point. No kidding. And my wife's from Michigan, so she'd only been in California. She'd been in California, you know, less than, less than 10 years. And um, I had a friend who lived in Chico, and he, was, he had grown up here and just always mentioned it. And so we just drove. And, uh, we got to Medford. I think we were all done for the day. Got a hotel and just started venturing out from there. We didn't really like Medford, kind of a city feel. And uh, we got to Grants Pass. And I just, you know, I felt that mountain air. And I saw the big, tall trees. And I just uh, felt like the small, small town. You know, it was, uh, you know, kind of coming into fall, winter at that time. And it was just, you know, 
just so. had had a good feeling. And then we had we had about three good things happen to us in the first couple of days we were here. Just generous people, good vibes. So we uh we just went for it, you know. Um found a rental, someone that would rent to us with, you know, no income. And we I think we had eleven or twelve people at that time. With you? Yeah. So your friends. Yeah. And they have kids? Yep. And was it just the two of your families that no. made up the 11 or was there another one? Yeah, so we no, we had 10. We had 10 we had no, we had 10 11 people and 10 of us ended up staying um one of one of the kids went down to live with their dad but um yeah, so someone that would rent to 10 people with no income. But luckily, you know, I I had some money. We had enough to get it going, you know. You gotta have a little slush fund. I think that's what uh, disasters like that teach you, because um, you know you gotta ask yourself if you lost everything, do you have enough money to leave here and go get a hotel room for two weeks or three weeks until you figure out, you know, things. So luckily we we, we had that, and then I uh, just you know moved up here and just started researching it. Really liked it, and just felt like I didn't want to go back and live in the disaster area. So um, just hit it hard, you know we we um we had uh settled our insurance on two houses and then i had another rental in a neighboring town chico i sold that and just pulled up all my money and bought a place um here in grants pass and um paid it off and just started over so what's that like starting a business in a brand new town where you <laughs> I mean, how many people did you know? You said you knew a guy that went to Chico. Did he go to Chico? He's in Chico, he, yeah. But he's from here. Yep. So you knew him. Who else besides that? Anyone else? Well, I didn't. No, not really. Um, you know, you start poking around and, and you start hearing about things um, if you're, you know, into social media and stuff, which I, you know, I follow a little bit, but um, exciting, actually. Uh, kind of relieved. You know, we had we had the big business and a lot of stress down there that was put on my wife and I. So being up here was kind of like a new start. Um, I think a lot of people come up here for a little simpler life and a fresh start. And, you know, that's why we're all happy to be here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah, I started the plumbing business right off the bat. Um, just thinking like, oh, okay, I'm going to get my old life back, you know. And then... Um, you know, bought this house, remodeled it before we moved in. And, you know, my friend got his business going and, um, a couple other friends actually followed us up here. Um, even though we told them it rains a lot, it gets a little foggy. I was going to say wink, wink, <laughs> right. Don't come up here. trying to convince them to go elsewhere. <laughs> I was going to say to you earlier when you said you came here and it was kind of fall and transitioning to winter that obviously it wasn't foggy yet because that yeah. fog can be brutal sometimes. I love it here, but the fog, yeah. after a couple of days, I'm ready for it to get out of here. Yeah, I try to take a few jobs in Medford, you know, got to get a little sun. Yeah. Sometimes it's the opposite, though. Yeah, it was just the other day. It was yeah. nice to come home. A lot of times it's the other way around because yeah. I come home from work in Medford. You come around from Rogue River, and that last turn, right before you get off the exit to drop into town, you can usually see a layer right across. Yeah. You can see the sun, but you can see that layer, and then you yeah. just drive into the abyss, and here we are, but... It's winter time, so you can come inside and like here I start the wood, get the wood stove going, and yeah, it's it's fine. But um, so getting the business started, what do you do to get a brand new plumbing business going? Um, How do you, you know, get business? Well, everyone needs plumbing, you know. And I think right off the bat, I thought I'm just going to hammer it hard and let's get let's get my old stuff going. And um, you know, I did that. I got all the you know the licensing stuff taken care of, and um, you know, I got some work drummed up and I actually got it rolling pretty good all summer. I was rolling pretty good. And then, um, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, it's always been my dream to, to, um, you know, buy homes, renovate them and, and, and sell them. And at, at this point we're on our, um, our fifth house. So, uh, I've kind of pulled back a little bit from the plumbing business. So I'm just kind of doing, uh, you know, I'm not advertising or anything. If I get a call, I, you know, I take care of it. If they need me there in, in two minutes, I'm probably not going to make it. So, um, you know, I just, I bought a house in Medford, um, about a, two months ago and we're renovating that and getting it up for sale. So 
kind of um, changing direction a little bit. But uh, plumbing, you know, plumbing's always been great. I always, I always do it. Um, but you know, I'm just trying something, something different. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Do you not do a lot of the different things when it comes to remodeling? Yeah. Are you doing most of it yourself? Yes. Um, you know, I've, I've bought a good, well, a couple of good guys that work for me, and um, a buddy of mine that moved up here with me. You know, he's, uh, he's helping me out a lot. So um, I think it's all actually helping us get over the whole deal, mm-hmm. you know, um, just working. I think that when you when everything's gone and you're a man and you're used to getting up and going to work every day, you just feel like crap when you're not, you know. If you're a worker, you just got to work. And, um, you know, I just felt like I, I, had, to, I had to work, so... Um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to buy a house and, you know, started looking around, you know, at the, you know, the worst house in the best neighborhood kind of situation and just went for it. So, um, here we are, hopefully it works out here in a couple, couple months and we can, well, it seems like, you know, if you're willing to put in the work yeah, and I've talked about this a lot with almost everyone that's come in here because most of the people I've had in here have, have done a lot of interesting things, a lot of amazing things, and a lot of it just comes from hard work. I mean, the girl yeah. I was telling you about right before we started that was in here recently that is trying to make the uh, Team USA bobsled team. It's just relentless, you know, mm-hmm. working out, you know, as a track athlete, just gets after it. And uh, I was just talking to my grandpa last night, same way. You know, he bounced around at all these odd jobs yeah. and and pushed dirt for a long time worked in the mill had his foot cut off in the mill yeah you know had a logging accident all these different things along the way now they have a trucking company with 180 semis which you know looking at it i grew up around it and got to watch it grow but it's unbelievable to see what you can accomplish if mm-hmm. you just put some hard work into it that's right and like you're saying you just you just got back into it you know yeah. and maybe you're not doing plumbing all the time you're remodeling houses you're fixing them up but just that work. And as long as you keep going, usually at some point, something's going to break and maybe yeah. not right away, but eventually something, you get a break and it seems like yeah. you just kind of create your own breaks or at least that's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I didn't find it out till later what was wrong with me or not wrong with me, but you know, I've always just, I, I guess you got to envision what you want. And once you have that vision, in your mind you can drive towards it and you can have that burning desire to get it and they call it burning desire because you you know it's kind of like taking that boat to an island and then burning the boat down you have to have that burning desire there's no way to go back you have to get what you what you visioned you know um and that that's worked for me you know you just you got to see it and you got to go get it and you have to do stuff people won't a lot of people won't crawl under houses in sewage to fix a pipe for a couple hundred bucks at seven o'clock, you know, on a Thursday night. And that's I, what you were doing tonight? I changed my shirt before I came here. <laughs> now, that explains why when I asked you if it smelled bad because of the propane heater, you said smells don't bother me. Yeah. I didn't know it was because you had crawled in sewage earlier in the evening. Yeah, I mean, it's just another day at the office, (laughs) you know? Which doesn't bother me one bit. I mean, the fact that you may smell like sewage, I don't know if I want to be the guy to crawl in the sewage under the house. Now, if I needed to, I would do it. I hope I don't have to, but I'm glad there's guys like you who are willing to do it. You just do that. Yeah, you just do that plank walk the whole time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Through through there. But, you know, then that's after putting a full day in at at the Medford house, you know, with a couple guys throwing up a fence. And, um, yeah, you just you got to be willing to go for it, you know. And and I don't think fixing houses and crawling in sewage is for everyone, but uh, you know, you run your own race and you get, you know, you go after what you want. And um, maybe for for some people, it's it's a simple thing you want, or maybe it's extravagant, you know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's more time to be around your family. And and yeah, that's that's what I realized. I think ultimately after the fire was that uh, you know when everything's gone, when everything's gone, what's what's more important? Is it the money? You know, I went from you know just you know self-made. I went from having nothing 
to, you know, having a million dollar company and seeing that kind of money go past you and you realize, uh, you know, I don't really work for money. I work cause I like to work, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to like what you're doing. You, you can't just trade dollar, you know, hours of your life for dollars and think that you're going to get ahead. You've got to be passionate about something. And, um, that's what, I, that's, that's why I'm kind of taking a shift into the real estate thing is cause it, uh, can free up more time. Um, and life's about doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, and you're part of the three girls club like I yeah. am. So right. we have a lot, uh, a lot of weddings coming up. Oh yeah. And we have a lot of guys to chase off. Yeah. And, um, this might need a second, second interview for this whole yeah. family I man thought, speech. I thought you were going to say a second beer. And if you, if you're, if you're about ready for it, <laughs> I can grab, do you want another one? I'll take another All one. Right, let me yeah. grab another Good one. Good idea. I've got, we've, we're about 41 minutes into this thing. Not quite. And there's a couple other things I want to ask you about. So I'm going to, I want to throw a curveball or two at you. So let me, let me grab another one for each one of us. Just, you can talk, you can talk to me or relax. Yeah. Bring it on. Same uh, the one that was next to it. What was the? the yeah, I'll try that one. And I'll, I'll go with one of these, then. We'll just reverse your flip flop. Thank you. Yeah, you're uh, you're in luck because we went to pizza last night. And I don't know if you've had a chance to go to Wild River at all. Yes, and, I have. And they're not paying me to talk about them. I usually say it on the radio because people can pay us to talk about them. I was going to mention it, but um, I figured you better ask them if they can. But I, I, I throw them a little love every now and then. One of these days, excuse me, had to burp. Uh, maybe they'll want to sponsor the podcast. But I actually had, have you heard of Weekend Beer Company? Yes. Have you been down there yet? Yes, I get massages next door. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't even know you could get massages next door. So I had uh, Kelsey and Troy. There's two couples that own it, and they were one of the first people to come in on the podcast. I think nice. they were episode three, and uh, pretty cool story. They're both in the Army and uh, veteran-owned company. Anyway, I was just down there last Wednesday uh, before Thanksgiving and uh, stocked up the fridge, but it probably won't surprise you that they're all gone. Otherwise, I'd give you <laughs> one of those. So anyway, I kind of got sidetracked there because uh, – I'm equal opportunity and uh, I've been going to wild river since they opened and I celebrated my 21st birthday there, but they came out with this sunrise IPA. It's a grapefruit IPA and uh, it's delicious. So yeah. Enjoy. Yummy. And uh, you tried one of the uh, celebration, the uh, fresh hop from Sierra Nevada, which is Chico. Yeah. Which I haven't even had a chance to make it there. All the years I've been down to Corning and Chico and I, I've never uh, been to the brewery, but one of these days I want to get down there, but yeah, I gotta go anyway. Let me get resituated here. <sighs> okay. I want to know about stock car racing. Oh, God. And I want to know uh, when you got into it. <laughs> and give me the story, the backstory, because I grew up uh, up in Cottage. Well, I didn't grow up in Cottage Grove. I grew up in Glendale, about a half hour north here, town of yeah. 700 people. But my uncle raced stock cars. Oh, okay. Before I was born, and I think I was at Cottage Grove about three or four months old yeah. in a in a like bassinet car seat little thing. Same here. I was at Petaluma Speedway, just a couple months old. Yeah. So you had it in your blood early on. Yeah, I'll but probably, you, unlike me, uh, ended up racing cars. Is that right? Yeah, I still do. Okay, so tell me a little bit about that because I did a little Facebook creeping myself. <laughs> I saw what appeared to be what modified. Yeah, I'm racing modifieds here in Oregon. Started racing modifieds in um, Chico before the fire, but obviously lost everything. So started over. Went back with modifieds. Pretty strong up here in Southern Oregon, IMCA. And uh, actually, probably left that part out on the whole drive to work. Um, it pro- it actually started out just uh, wanting bigger, badder, better race car parts. Okay, now we're getting yeah. the real juice here. Oh, and then bro. it and then it got to the point where it just uh yeah, how you know, moving up a class, moving you know, bigger, more stuff. Um, you know, really my true passion, yeah, racing. Okay. So what did yeah. you race first? What's the first car you're in? What class were you in? What Stock was cars all the way. Um, just until like two years ago got into modifieds. 
Um, my dad ran stock cars when I was a kid. Just I just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, started stock car racing when I was 14 years old. Um, you know, daddy didn't do everything for me. I mean, I sacrificed so much stuff when I was in high school, just working on the car all the time. Every little, you know, penny I had to get out there and race with these big boys. I think my first season in uh, Silver Dollar Speedway with like 55 cars of the points battle was happy to get top 10. You know, uh, I think I was 16 at that point. But we, uh, you know, my dad and I were into it just real, real heavy. Got out, got out of it for a couple of years and got right back into it just before my first daughter was born, Roxy. And I haven't, I really haven't quit since. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that I've, I'm a, I haven't had a chance to go since really the last probably 10 years because once we started having kids, we have four. The fifth one's going to be here in late yeah. March or early April, and eh, my wife really isn't into it. And I had three girls first, so it's not like my 11-year-old. Yeah. I can make the case uh, to take her, which she's into riding quads and likes to be outside and wants to do all those things. So it's not like she's a girly girl or anything, but it's not like I had a boy right out of the chute where I could say, Honey, I'm taking them to the Southern Oregon Speedway. We're right. going to go watch the races. So it was a little bit harder to go. But, yeah, I grew up running Cottage Grove uh, on the, at the dirt track there and then Roseburg, which I wasn't as big of a fan of the of the asphalt track. Yeah, my, my, my no uncle, one is. Yeah, my uncle raced there. So, it was, you know, we <laughs> went and watched him. I, I went and watched any race I could possibly go yeah, to. Yeah, racing's racing. I mean, no matter what, you're just a little bit faster than the guy next to you, you know? Exactly. And then they ended up building the Southern Oregon Speedway. And so before I got married, I spent a lot of time there. My yeah. my um, sister's brother-in-law raced there for quite a while. And, I mean, I just love it. So when I was doing a little Facebook creep and before he came in, I saw the <laughs> modified and thought, okay, here we go. There's a there's something here we can chat about. Yeah. And uh so last year were you able to to get in a full season at the speedway or not quite. Missed a couple races. I think um, you know, went out of town one weekend and a birthday party the next. But um you know, we, we, we bought the house at that point. We got a little stable and uh I guess going out trying to buy some happiness, just wanted to go racing again. I just bought a new car before the season and part of it burned off and I knew it was going to take a lot to fix it. So I ended up just going out and buying a car and went out and uh, I think we raced about seven or eight times. We actually went up to Cottage Grove this, the second night I had the car. We won the B main up there. So tell me what your opinion is and not of the people running the track. Cause that's, I don't want to get into that part, but me as a fan, I know how I feel about the different tracks. So you tell yeah. me, Southern Oregon Speedway or Cottage Grove, what's your favorite between the two? Um, Cottage Grove. Because? Um, they've got it together. I mean, you're there to race and get you on the track and get you off the track and keep the show going. Yeah. Um, you know, it's opinionated, but, I mean, the hometown tracks, you know, Southern Oregon, White City, you know, it's it's – it's just, it's just the hometown track. You got to support it. So I mainly race there. The drive's a little bit up to Cottage Grove, but really like the surface up there. It's, um, I feel like it's got more grip. Um, a little tackier up there, Cottage yeah. Grove. I've heard some stories of people that would come out of the stands after the races were over in the late 70s and all the way through the 80s and literally be walking in their socks before they knew it because the track was so sticky yeah. that they'd come right out of their shoes. And that's what I'm used to down, you know, that's how Chico is. It's nice and tacky, sticky. Yeah. And uh, Southern Oregon doesn't really have that grip and just keeps you guessing. I mean, just one night it can be dry, ruddy, dusty, you're bouncing all over the place. And then the next night it's heavy and tacky and it's hammered down, so... Um, you know, I only went up to Cottage Grove once, but obviously going up there and getting a B main win and the second time driving a car, I was pretty happy. Um, and you know, we have little, we have little microphones in our ears and there's to save in Cottage Grove. They're always saying something in your ear, um, which I think keeps you on point, you know, and, and Southern Oregon, sometimes you don't hear anything. You wonder if the, the thing's on at all. Um, the show moves so much faster up in Cottage Grove. Yeah. And I think that keeps the fans going and into it, you know, where 
you could be done at the show up there, drive back here in Med, back here in Medford or Grants Pass, and be sitting down in your chair, done with the night, and they're still racing in White City. Yeah, it it's good so to hear long. from someone who actually races because I know that when I've talked to my wife about going, she's like, "Oh, what do you think it's gonna be over?" I don't know. Yeah, you just don't know, and that's one of the biggest complaints well, that I've heard from people is it just goes on forever, and it's not because of the car count. No, that's how, I mean, Southern Oregon has been. It just kind of drags on, and I think that's hard. You know, the stands are packed. The beer line is long. I mean, people are there. It's just the show's got to move a little faster. It can't take 15 minutes to get a car off the track, you know? Mm-hmm. Wasn't people, it new operators last year? I think they were there for the yeah, first year last year. Yeah. Because it's a couple of years he's been up here, I believe. But, uh, okay. Yeah, you got to keep people engaged, you know. Yeah, you got to keep the fans entertained. That's what I always love about going to Cottage Grove. And I know I'm kind of going down a racing rabbit hole here, but I'm, yeah, I, is- I love it. And I, I mean, I remember as a kid going there and just begging to want to go. We'd have family reunions up in yeah. Eugene, Junction City area. I like the vibe up there for sure. Yeah, you'd go down underneath the the trestle there, getting mm-hmm. down in there, and yeah, it's just a cool. It's old school. Yeah, uh, Moxie Media does a. A bunch of the circle track stuff here locally. Yeah. They're in Cottage Grove, Medford. I think they go up to Willamette. Yeah, I noticed they're taking over more and more tracks as far as getting involved in what's going on there. So, uh, who knows? Hopefully, they'll make some great improvements here. It's uh, definitely possible. For yeah, sure. you got to get people into it. You know, I, I read a, a thing in a circle track magazine that, you know, for a sport, you, you know, a, an event that people don't hear much about, it actually has the biggest following. I mean, on a summer night, Friday and Saturday, even Sunday nights in the Midwest, you have more people packed in stands watching circle track racing than anything else. I mean, you know, just in the state of Oregon, you know, you've got at least you've got five tracks. Let's see, Banks, Coos Bay. Uh, well, they had a, an issue up there at uh, Lebanon, but it's there. They're, they're open. I Are went they? and saw the yeah, okay. last race. Uh, I know they were dealing with the city or the county or somebody was giving them a hard time about permits. But code, code stuff. They got it all yeah, fixed. It's they real did nice. Good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and and I, I got to see the World of Outlaws there, which yeah. is awesome. Um, and then Cottage Grove, White City. Redmond. Redmond. So, yeah, there's a pretty good amount of yeah. uh, a dirt tracks. And we there. won't leave Roseburg out even though it's pavement. Well, yeah. <laughs> My mom's cousin races modifieds up there, and we went and watched them last year and – yeah, it's I mean, it's good to get out there. Yeah. That was actually sad to me to go up to Roseburg. I remember being there in the late 80s, early 90s when you couldn't find a seat. And now you can have the whole section to yourself, you know, and it's probably comes down to that. It's hard. It's hard to race. Yeah, it's expensive. It's expensive. But how how are you going to pay for it? Yeah. Are you going to go work? do stuff people won't are you gonna work longer harder are you gonna eat white sliced bread so you can go race yeah i will (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's people out there who definitely will and then there's something like huh not interested yeah i mean i shouldn't be out there to begin with no yeah take you know take the cars back and you know so when you race is it mainly just for fun or are you you said you missed a few races, so obviously it's hard to win a points championship. And yeah. I, and I don't even know what it necessarily means to – I mean, yeah, it would be awesome to win the season, but is it just mainly for the fun and the thrill of it? Yeah. Um, it's just uh, – there's nothing like it. There's nothing like dirt circle track racing. I mean, I, I haven't found anything, and I've had fast cars, fast motorcycles, snowmobiles, quads, all that stuff. Um, there's just nothing like it. Um, you know, the stock car days, it used to be, you could just kind of get a car close and go out and drive the thing and just win. You know, I moved up to modifieds, uh, sport mods, uh, a lot more competitive. So this year was just about, um, new car, new track, new atmosphere, not as much, uh, you know, people in your corner helping you out. Cause you don't really know anyone, but that's kind of nice too. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year I knew it was just going to be a shakedown run, you know? So Uh, you're in it for next year then I'm I'm in it for next year. Well, then I'll have to use you as my excuse to get down to the track then, because like I said, with the impressed in my three-year-old, he, he loves riding 
quads. Dirt. I mean, he wants to ride anything that moves. Yeah. Especially if it goes fast. So maybe I'll have a chance to get him down there. And especially if you're racing, it'd be fun to come yeah. down and watch you and hang out a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's that's so awesome that you do it and just go for it. Yeah, you, you um, yeah, you got to bring a coloring book though, just in case he gets bored. That's what I found out. You got to have a little backup plan because the kids get they they have a hard time focusing on the cars and stuff and or a pillow pillow blankie crash out yeah blankie for sure uh maybe some glasses southern oregon get a little dusty sometimes yeah that's uh, one of the things i really remember is like so i have a solo cup sitting over here is you gotta do this trick right here when you're at the dirt track and if you're not smart enough to cover your cup up you have to do the old finger sweep yeah because you get so much dirt on the inside of your cup especially if you don't drink fast enough which usually isn't a problem for me but even if you do you can get quite the the residue yeah. on the inside of your uh, cup built up when you're at the speedway for people listening a majority of people listening probably have never been to a dirt track no they should go i mean these are the important things you need to yeah. know if you're gonna drink a beer you need to be you need to know the, the index finger trick yeah. you know wiping out the the inside of the cup should be like a weather channel you know what what's what's the the cup dirt report yeah and turn to you know coming out of turn four that, and that's where i was always, i would always sit in turn four too it's funny you mentioned that yeah it's here's hold on a second here's the inside the cup report from turn four you know yeah. we have a we have a rock today yeah i got i've gotten thwacked by a few rocks too i went up to cottage grove to watch the world of outlaws and i had a media pass or whatever and i snuck up on turn three and they had the push truck sitting up there yeah and I thought it'd be a good idea to sneak up there and go stand next to it. So I'm just leaning on the driver's side mirror and the wind coming at me off those sprint cars. And for people who don't know, those things are doing 80, yeah. 90 miles an hour around there. And at Cottage Grove, it's like Chico. It's a short track. Mm-hmm. And so the wind coming off of those cars, I mean, they're sideways almost the whole yeah. time. So you have the wings up on top, just pushing wind. And all of a sudden, and I had sunglasses on, but the rock hit me right at the corner of the top of my eye. Yeah. And it hit my sunglasses. And I saw Tweety Birds. I saw stars. <laughs> and I thought, man, I am never. And by the time I staggered back, you know, down the road, pit road. Yeah. And then back to the stands and the pits. And I thought, man, I'm never. I'm never going to go stand up there again. That you won't a, get that at the movie theater. I'm he, telling you no, right now. No, I've had Yeah, I've had stuff that's drawn blood on my forehead before. I mean, yeah. World of Outlaws and Chico. Have you ever had a chance to get in a sprint car and drive one? I've sat in a sprint car that wasn't properly fitted for me. I mean, I'm 6'3", 230 pounds. But, uh, yeah, it's got to be a wild ride. I had a chance to ride in a ride-along car. A two-seater? Two-seater. Those are cool. With Jimmy Sills at Southern Oregon Speedway. And there was a guy ahead of me. 16-year-old kid from Klamath Falls, and he got to go on the first ride, and he was just getting warmed up. And he was having a few issues with his car. It was popping a little bit. It was sputtering, and so he was trying to work it out, and he pulled it off, and he worked on it a little bit. Took this kid for a ride, and he came off the track, and the kid got out, and his hands were shaking so bad. And and he and Jimmy asked him, he said, hold your hands out, and the kid's hands were just – and he was a racer. He ro- raced many, yeah. many stocks, right? So it's nothing like being in a sprint car or even in a modified – he looked at me and said, you ready to go? Like, man, I'm, I've dreamed of this. You yeah. know, I've, I've never been able to drive a race car. I've, I grew up around it, but let's go. He ended up blowing it up on the last lap. But the two laps that I made it around in that thing wide open, yeah. I'll never forget. The driveline was right between my feet, spinning as fast as you can even imagine. And the G-force is in that thing. And he asked me when we took off, he goes, how fast do you want to go? I said, put it to the floor, and I'm just going to hang on. Yeah, let's go. And we almost spun out, turned three and four. And we al- I think we almost hit the, the front straightaway wall. We probably weren't even close. No, just hanging it out there. But I felt like I could reach out and touch that thing. But, man, we were going so fast. And I got yeah. out of there, and he said, hold your hands out. And I held him out. And he's like, man, you're doing okay. You know, yeah. I wasn't shaking. I, I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, wild. Um, you know, that that's your version of you know what it's like my version of what it's like is you're barreling it you're going down the straightaway you know you're doing you know in modifies maybe you're doing 65 on a good night maybe 70 but you're going into a turn you're gonna do a 180 and you've got 25 other cars around you where you don't know where they're going what's broke what issue they're having and you're all 
just simultaneously turning in this corner, just meshing the sideways out of control motion that you have through a turn and then back in the straightaway. And then you do it all over again. And you do it all over again. In and, seconds. Yeah. And like my dad used to say, he'd say it's like World War II fighter pilots because stuff is going. I mean, people's stuff's breaking. There's sparks flying out. There's smoke. There's flat tires. Rocks. There's rocks. There's guys that have never been on the track before. There's guys that are out there that their spring popped out and their left front tires two feet in the air, you know, um, there's issues you're having with your helmet, not enough, you know, tear-offs, you know, seatbelt came loose, or something, um, just wild. What's the weirdest thing you've ever had happen in a race car? Jeez, I had my steering wheel come off once. Holy shit. Yeah. What are you doing the steering wheel comes off? Because gr- don't they click in that you yeah. have, a, most of them have just a, a, a quick release yeah. where they pop on? You grab the splines as fast as you can with both of your hands and try to keep it straight. Is it even possible to, to keep it straight you when ha- you grab the splines? You just try to keep it less out of control. So what what happened? You run off the track? Yeah, just went right, right up over the turn, let off and popped it back on and learned, you know, when you put the steering wheel on, you, you, you pull the spline, you know, you pull the quick release back and you push it on the splines and then you pull up and down a couple of times to make sure it doesn't come off. So that's what you learned from that yeah. situation. I mean, I'm sure I've had, a, I've had a lot of weird stuff happening. I've had like nose pieces come off, flip upside down and be right in front of your view and still win the race. You know, I've had a, I've had a lot of hairy nights like that, you know? Um, but that's the first one because of my losing the steering wheel is not very fun. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love it. I love dirt track racing, and I'm definitely going to make a point to get out there next summer and come watch your race because it's, it's so much more fun when you know someone who's racing. Yeah. That just makes it. I mean, yeah, you can become a fan of some of the good guys that are out there if you just go to the speedway. But when you know someone out there and you feel like you kind of have a little something invested yeah. in it, and it just makes it that more fun when they win and are doing well. That's so. right. Get get behind the drama a little bit. You know, see them, the blood, sweat, and tears Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night getting ready to go race and, you know, scraping up the pennies and the group effort to, you know, weld something together and just get it out there and get going, you know. Yeah. Flat tire on the way to the track, whatever. You're just going to get there and go. Man, does it feel like it's been over an hour? Not really. That's nice. I mean, we've got cold beer. We have a heater going, yeah. and uh, we could probably sit out here for a long time. But Yeah, what uh, a great opportunity, though. Man, I'm happy to have you over, and I – was telling my wife, and I know I've referenced a few times. I was telling my wife because we we talked about this a couple of different times. Well, but you should, yeah. I um, said, man, I really haven't, I really haven't had a chance to actually like meet him. So maybe this would be the best way to do it: just invite him over to the house, yeah. sit in the garage, have a cold one or two, and and talk about some things. And man, I love your work ethic. I you know I grew up around a family business and got to see what that looks like. And like I referenced my grandpa being in here and, and I don't know if when this podcast airs, if his will have already aired, I'm assuming it probably will. I'm juggling a couple of things, but, um, I just, man, I appreciate the hard work. I, I learned it at a young age. It's changed my life. Yeah. You know, it's changed my family's life. And, uh, so I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate that you're getting after it because nothing is more discouraging to me than seeing no motivation. When knowing that you could have, and it's not money. It's not necessarily having money. Like you said, it could be allowing yourself more time to spend with your family or to help teach someone else that wants to learn what you learned how to do from someone else. And it's possible, man. It's possible to do just about anything out there. Yeah. Run your own race. You know, if it's, if it's something you want, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just, it's what, it's what you want, you know, whether it's money or, or, just seeing something happen you know you go for it the american dream's still out there that's yep. why we're all here that's why we're getting up and going to work every day or you know you, you can make it happen it's still out there don't get discouraged politics or whatever or i can i can't you know you you just you got to go after it yep don't get sucked into the noise because all no. of it's just noise and there's plenty of it out there to distract us and usually i end this thing by saying what would you say to people who are thinking about going after something they haven't done yet or doing something new but I feel like you already said it. Run your own race. Yep. Get after it, and good things are going to happen. That's right. 
Well, man, I appreciate you coming over. Jesse Skidmore. Check him out at the Southern Oregon Speedway. <laughs> Maybe remodeling a house in Medford or doing some plumbing work. What's your business name? Fast Ads Plumbing. There you go. Check it out. If you need some help, I've already needed some help. You've been yeah. doing a few things for me around here because, frankly, I don't know how to do it. I mean, I know some of it. But like I said, left the house at 5 a.m. this morning, and yeah. it's on the go all the time. You're so. running your race. Yep, trying, trying That's to do right. it. So, man, I appreciate you coming over, and uh, you're always welcome anytime. And if you guys ever need anything, you just yell. I hope your experience so far in Grants Pass has been good. Been great. And uh, there's a lot of people out there willing to uh, to lift a hand if you need a hand and yeah. you need something. So uh, just yell if you do. And uh, like I said, you know where we are, and thanks for coming over. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Garage Talk Podcast. It's available pretty much anywhere, I think. I mean, it's available anywhere I would look. Apple, uh, Google Podcasts. It's on Stitcher. It's on SoundCloud. It's on, uh, I don't know. You'll find it. GarageTalkPodcast.com. Leave a review, a rating, whatever you want to do. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Share it with your friends. Don't share it with your friends. I've had a lot of fun tonight. And another new episode coming to you soon from South Grants Pass. Thanks for checking it out. And we'll talk to you again soon.